In the name of the Father and the Son and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Well, we have been thinking these first few weeks of the new year about living a life that matters and how do we build such a life. And we've been looking at that question through the lens of this wonderful Old Testament character, Jacob, who uh, you remember uh, struggled his whole life with these two very basic needs that we have. Uh, on the one hand, the need to be successful, um, to make our mark in the world. And on the other hand, this need to be a good person and to have other people, other good people, recognize us as such. You could actually think of the whole saga of Jacob in Genesis as the story of Jacob's uh, attempt to climb that ladder from who he is to who he knows he has it in him to become. Jacob's ladder. And the invitation is for all of us to do the same. A number of years ago, Rabbi Harold Kushner uh, wrote an international bestseller. You know about it. It was called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. You remember he started out by saying if the title was Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, it would have been a very short work, just three words. I don't know. Well, this morning, I want to um, just twist that title a little bit and ask another perplexing question, and that is, why do good people do bad things? I mean, if all of us have sort of an innate need to think of ourselves as good, <clears throat> why do we sometimes do things that undercut our sense of our own goodness. When I read the Jacob saga, the reality is I identify with him because I assume like many of you, I too have had the feeling of doing things that later on I thought better of and thinking less of myself in the process. A colleague of mine was meeting with a, uh, a couple from his congregation. He had known them for years, had married them 20 years earlier, knew their children. Um, they were all part of the congregation. They made an appointment to come see him. He thought maybe there were marital issues or maybe there was a problem with one of the teenagers at home. But it turned out it wasn't a family matter at all. It was all about business. Some years before, they had taken in a partner. And it had only recently become clear to them that this man had been systematically cheating them. One of them said to him, it's not the money, we're in good shape. We're not coming to you for legal advice, we have good lawyers. What bothers us is this, we trusted this man because he is a religious person. He is a prominent member of his congregation. How can a religious person like that do something that is so flagrantly dishonest? My colleague tried to remind them that organized religion attracts all sorts of people, good and bad, strong and weak, and for all kinds of reasons. He quoted a line to him that I have quoted to you before, that a church that only admits saints would be like a hospital that only admits healthy people. It would be a more pleasant place. It would certainly be an easier place to run, 
But that's not the business that we're in. In the end, he said, he wasn't sure that his words were really any help to his friends at all. The truth is, I have known people, and maybe you have, who have lost all of their faith in organized religion because they met ostensibly religious people, clergy and laity alike, whose behavior didn't match the badges of piety that they so conspicuously wore. So why is that so common? Why do people continue to do things that it should be easy to recognize as unacceptable? No doubt, there are some truly evil people in the world, but probably far fewer than we think that there are. There are people like a Hitler or a Stalin or a Charles Manson or a few other serial killers come to mind. But most people who do bad things probably don't make it on that list. People like a Hitler or a Stalin are psychopaths, and I am as baffled as, at their lack of conscience as anyone. Maybe some people are just born without a fully functioning conscience, like some people are born without a limb or an enzyme that is necessary for health. Or it may that some people, maybe that some people are so irreparably crippled by childhood experiences that they grow up emotionally deformed. If we think of people as sort of along a continuum of virtue, there of course will be saints way over here. And there will be truly horrible people over here. Closer to the sinner side, there will be those people who are so angry at the world that they think they are justified at hurting or injuring others. Closer to the saint side, there will be other people more like ourselves, basically good people who sometimes do bad things for reasons that even they don't fully understand. What makes a Jacob deceive his own father? What makes a David, the greatest of all Israel's kings, seduce another man's wife? Sometimes, I suppose, we do the wrong thing because we are afraid and we feel like we have to protect ourselves. An honest person, for example, if he is hungry enough, will steal food or will steal money to buy food for him or his family. In Lent, we're going we're to study uh, Victor Hugo's wonderful uh, work, Les Miserables. And that, of course, is the story of Jean Valjean, an honest man who stole a loaf of bread. In the 12th chapter of Genesis, Abraham uh, treats his wife disgracefully. There is a famine in the land of Cana, and he and his wife Sarah have to journey down to Egypt um, to find greener pastures. Abraham is afraid that they are entering a society, a society that abuses strangers, and the Egyptians will kill him in order to take Sarah uh, themselves. So he asks Sarah to pose as his unmarried sister instead of his wife. 
Though she may be raped and violated, at least he will be spared. I know so much for those good biblical family values. Don't you just love those? But again, it is a lesson um, that fear for one's own life can drive even the father of the three greatest religions in the world to act in a cowardly way. Or sometimes people do, uh, good people do things that they really don't believe in because they feel like the end justifies the means. So Jacob may, really may have felt like, I am the right man for the job. And so he felt justified in deceiving his father. Likewise, a political candidate, a good, honest person, may go to Washington to do nothing but good and feel justified in distorting his adversary's record because he feels like if that person gets elected, it will be terrible for the community. Or sometimes good people do things they really don't believe in because they are angry. They feel like life and society has been unfair to them. Surely they should not have to be fair to society. At its most extreme, we hear this all too often, a boss fires a person they think unfairly. They go home and get a gun. They come back and kill their boss and anybody who gets in the way. Or... A less dramatic, more recognizable level, you have a really bad day at work. Your boss criticizes you. Or um, a project that you have worked on for a long time falls apart. You come home in a foul mood. You yell at the kids. They run up to their room crying, believing that it's their fault that you're upset. You feel terrible about making them feel that way. But the truth is you're too depressed to apologize or try to explain it right now. In each of these cases, people may be troubled by what they did, as was Jacob. They will likely pray that nobody else finds out about it. But it won't be hard for them to convince themselves that what they did was just a necessary compromise in a world that can't be counted on to treat us fairly. Still, their compromise will likely at some level disturb them, and it is important to remember that only good people feel guilty. Only morally sensitive people wrestle with this gap between who I am and who I have it in me to become. So. What kind of people are we, really? Are we naturally good until some external circumstance compromises our goodness? Or are we naturally more selfish and egotistical, needing some outside authority to sort of keep us in line? Which do you think? At least at this point in my life, my answer to that is yes. In other words, from the beginning of time and the beginning of every one of us, we have been a complicated cocktail of both original goodness and original sin with impulses to charity, but also to selfishness, the desire to be truthful and the tendency to stretch the truth or pretend there is no such thing as truth, which is a very big issue in our society these days. 
And those tendencies are constantly in tension with each other. Even as in the Bible, Jacob and Esau struggled in their mother's womb. Even as Jacob had to wrestle with parts of himself in order to become the person that he could be. Even further, I would suggest to you that there is something incomplete about us without that wrestling. Struggling with that angel by the river Jabbok helped Jacob to become a better person, though it didn't make him an angel. Do you remember the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Robert Louis Stevenson's wonderful story. Henry Jekyll is a distinguished London physician, socially prominent, loved by his friends, because he is a good person. Um, after all, that's why he went into medicine, was to help people. Because he is a good person, he is troubled by the angry, aggressive feelings that occasionally well up inside of him. Where do they come from, he wonders. Are they a part of him? Or are they like a foreign body, like a malignant tumor that needs to be cut out? Because he is a skilled chemist, he concocts this formula that will isolate the evil impulse within him, hoping that he can then banish it completely. He drinks it and then turns into somebody else, one who he names Edward Hyde who is as ugly outside as he is inside. Jekyll has succeeded in splitting himself into two people, one completely good, one completely evil. Hyde frightens people. He runs over a little girl. He beats a man to death. Jake Jekyll has to swallow a second dose of that portion to become himself again. But much to his chagrin, he realizes for the first time that when he was Hyde, he actually enjoyed letting his aggression run free, unimpeded by his conscience. He finds himself looking forward to being Hyde again, craving his next fix. Stevenson's wonderful story can be read at many levels, but in this case, it is a reminder to us that the evil impulse is such an intimate part of us that it cannot be removed. Any more than asking a brain surgeon to remove the parts of our brain that give rise to the bad thoughts without harming the rest. We have to own it in order to wrestle with it. Some of you know that I have just finished work on a task force for our presbytery that was investigating a racial incident that took place back in 2018. A retired white man, a man who had done a great deal of good mission work in and through the presbytery, was supervising a very promising young black man in one of the work groups for the presbytery. And this white supervisor, in trying to get that young black man to understand something he had done, used a racial slur. It was clearly inappropriate. When our presbytery executive, white, a good man, 
with a heart for God and the church and for our city. When he heard about it, he brought these two men together and explained to each of them what they had done. He believed, or he wanted to believe, that the incident was now all over. But it wasn't. Instead, that wound just continued to fester in that young man's heart until finally, months later, he resigned his position. In the meantime, for months, none of this was shared with anyone, not the HR department of the presbytery, not the committee that had oversight over that work group, not even the rest of the work group. When it finally did come to light, all hell broke loose, not only locally, but at the national level. Eventually, the presbytery executive resigned and retired. One of the takeaways from all of that horrible incident was that these were both very good people who did a lot of good things. But the evil of racism, like all of our sin, is deeper than any of our intentions. It insinuates its way even into good hearts and good institutions. It camouflages itself with the illusion that only bad people are racist. And for white people, the illusion that something is only racist when white people recognize it as such. The deeper truth is that we in this society, each of us and all of us together, are at best recovering racists. We become better people. We become a better church. We become another, a better nation when we own our nation's original sin, when we confess it and then wrestle with it. Like the man or woman who lifts weights at the gym, which incidentally we refer to as resistance training, we strengthen our moral fiber by the exercise of resisting the evil and temptation inside of ourselves. So this weekend we recognize Dr. King's leadership in the civil rights movement. His critics will tell you that along the way he had several extramarital affairs. Does that behavior diminish what Dr. King did to help our nation rid itself of this horrible sin? I, for one, don't want to diminish his leadership any more than I want to FDR or John Kennedy or Bill Clinton, all of whom did exactly the same thing. At the same time, I don't want to say, well, adultery can't be that bad if good people like Kennedy and King did it. What I end up saying is, good people sometimes do bad things. That's not an excuse, that's a fact. I ran across a story about a Native American tribal leader who was describing his own inner struggles. He said, there are two dogs inside of me. One of those dogs is mean and evil. The other dog is good. 
The mean dog fights with the good dog all the time. Someone asked him, which dog usually wins? And after a moment's reflection, he answered, the one I feed the most. Good people will do good things, a lot of them, because they are good people. They will also sometimes do bad things because they are human. In the daily, maybe hourly wrestling match which sets the tone of our lives, sometimes the angel wins and sometimes the angel loses. With luck, we won't be overwhelmed by guilt when that selfish, egotistical impulse defeats the angel. And we will understand that the victory is only temporary, never permanent, when the angel wins. To be human is to be both. To be faithful is to never stop asking, what kind of person do I want to be? Amen.